Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and welcome to the Midseason Awards Show. So I gave you guys a season over-under deal right before tip-off. Now we are at the mid-season point of the year, and I just kind of want to go over the highlights of our squad and really what a award show would look like if it were to happen right now. So currently the Thunder, they're 15 and 21, 12th in the West. That is tied for 8th best in the league right now in terms of odds. They are tied with the New Orleans Pelicans. The New Orleans Pelicans have a tiebreaker right now, so I guess you could say yeah, the eighth best odds. However, you never know what's going to happen down the line. So really that eight ninth spot when you're looking down there. However, I mean, you got to look at the team as of right now. I'm going to be going over a lot of different awards. You got the typical ones, the MVP award, the defensive player of the year award, the rookie of the year award, most improved player. But we also have a couple other ones, comeback player of the year, newcomer, of the year and also just have one the x factor and that's kind of just one i wanted to toss in there all these guys are going to be different names because yeah i could give you guys shea gojis alexander about five times and it'd be acceptable but i don't want to do that so one a piece let's just kick it right off with the most valuable player award this comes with no controversy whatsoever it's shea gojis alexander He's dropping over 23 points per game right now, over five assists, and over six assists on the season. He has elevated his play from being a really good sidekick along with Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder to now being the forefront of the team, and he's doing it very, very well. He looks like an actual star, and I saw this little thing on the Oklahoma, and they were doing kind of stuff similar to this. They had like an over-under on SGA making 2.5 all-star games I think two out of the three went on the under there I mean if I had to say anything I mean the west is stacked so definitely numbers like this are amazing however do they always net you the results I don't know and then on top of you know when you add on players to do his stats fall down I think he's deserving of you know multiple all-star appearances as well as the one this season and that's why he gets the MVP ranking on my board right here i mean he has just completely dominated teams he's been able to really get to wherever he's wanted progressively throughout the season like he was a very slippery defender to begin the year don't get me wrong but the way he's been able to kind of get around players with his different degrees of kind of speed i guess you would consider it it's absolutely insane and he does it really in a way no one else in the league is able to do things because he has that little Kyle Anderson moment where he gives you that slow-mo action up top, but then he just breaks out for speed. And it's not elite speed or anything, but the way he's able to kind of just strum out dribble moves and then get right by you really just out of nowhere. I mean, it's crazy. And it it's because the acceleration he has and the changes of speeds he can do And especially when he gets inside, typically most defenders, they're either just going to lay it right up or look to pass the ball around. He is completely comfortable just wavering inside for a little bit to try to get a good angle off. And you've seen a lot of circus shots from him kind of lately, you know, giving some up and unders over big guys, going through double teams to make some crazy layups. I know he's been using the uh, reverse layups a lot to help shield defenders off. 
you know, because they clearly, you know, cannot block that shot if he's going the other way. Can't just be swatting the iron there. So he's been very smart when it comes to that. But the real breakthrough has been from downtown. The fact that he's shooting over 41% from three at the moment, that is actually crazy. And a lot of his situations kind of were coming off the catch and shoot last season. Not so much now. He's really just controlling everything. And I believe he is the number one leader in terms of unassisted field goals right now because everything's kind of created by himself. I mean, the offense really has been suited for his style of play. You have a lot of high ball screens set with Al Horford. You got three perimeter shooters or threats out there to help SJ kind of thrive. And, you know, it's been working like a charm because he has been able to kind of coast over to his points. But really, that three ball... I mean, that comes in one-on-one situations. He really does not get that much help when it comes down to that, but he's still able to cook up. You know, his sidestep threes have become extremely deadly, especially, I'd probably say, in the months of February and the early glimpses we saw in March. He was pretty much unstoppable. It wasn't really a real portion of his game until then, and he just seamlessly applied it, like, out of nowhere. You know, there's maybe a gradual movement to him shooting from out there, but the sample size just has completely gone up and the success rate has been amazing. So, you know, he can get it done inside. That gets you so, so far. And he's so great at dishing the ball around when he gets in. Great decision making. But whenever you throw in the fact that he can shoot the basketball the way he does, that's what turns him into a star. And that's what turns him into the most valuable player for this team. So he's only 22 years old, has so much more room to grow. You just got to watch him blossom. And I think the second half of the season may just be better than his first like you just saw him getting ready I think he's finally kind of getting into his own just coming off that knee injury that took him out for a good chunk there but you know he's back and seems like he's going to be ready for you know the rest of the second half so that's why I gave him the MVP spot I don't think there's much kind of debate you can have on SGA's kind of stance with the squad moving on though to defensive player of the year I think you all know who this one is as well it's going to be Lou Dort I don't know any other guy who can really match up from the one through I'd say three even four positions at times the way he does and you know I had in maybe like honorable mentions Kenrich Williams because of how feisty he is but Lou Dort he just gives you the all-around package, and he has consistently just been playing a ton of minutes for the squad. He has been playing just under 30 minutes a game this season. Before, he was playing around 23, now 29.7, and he really has not let off like anywhere defensively. He still clamps up. Now, you know, it's not like he has a set matchup every given night like he kind of did in the bubble, you know, situated with James Harden. He always seems to kind of have a new face to guard and a lot of different guys are being thrown at him I mean he's playing at the small forward position pretty much on the regular now and he's pretty undersized I mean he's only listed as six foot three on basketball reference but come on I think he's like six four and definitely bigger than 215 pounds he's a big guy but he's definitely undersized and when you match him up against LeBron James and you just kind of let it loose that's a real testament to how amazing that he is. I don't think there's any other person that you could really do that with and be completely comfortable with. So he goes up against the stars. He's had to deal with so many different guys and he always seems to stand up. And even 
with all that defense, you add on the offense. And obviously, it doesn't go into this award. But come on, you need to respect him here. I mean, he's shot up from 9.5 points per game to 12.3, but the way he's been getting them is ridiculous. He was really not a three-point shooter whatsoever, you know, in the bubble outside of that game seven, just crazy night he had where he couldn't miss from out there. I think he shot 50% of like seven of 14 shots. I might be a little off there, but it was pretty wild what he was making. Now, I mean, he just shoots all the time and he is the perfect person you can insert in the starting unit. Before you had this little discussion, like where does he fit? Is he the next Andre Roberson or is he someone like a Tabo Cephalosha where he can give you the three and D presence? And it looks like he's more the latter right now. It looks like he's more that Cephalosha type, except a lot bigger. And I'd probably say a lot more versatile than he is because Cephalosha really just more of like a system player, I guess you could say. Lou Dort, he can do it all. He penetrates, but shooting, I mean, he's shooting six attempts a game for this team. And, you know, he's hitting on almost 33% of them. And he's gone down. He was at a point where he was just playing better than Trey Young from outside. You can't really claim that for him anymore, but he still definitely is there. And the fact he's been able to make it a real part of his game is very scary for the future because just like Shea Gilgis Alexander, I mean, this dude is extremely extremely young he's 21 years old right now so only more room to grow and you know you saw him in the bleacher report defensive ladder i think he snuck in at number five because they don't really want to move them up over front court members or established ones anyways so he was there for like a week they took him back down but i don't know why they wouldn't move him back up i mean he's so so damn disciplined i know i did a whole entire podcast on him i think it was one of my earlier like early early podcasts where I didn't really do this daily but yeah I, I did a great breakdown on him and I think the main thing that I talked about was just how disciplined he was and he still is very disciplined when it comes to playing defense he's averaging less personal fouls than he was in the prior year I mean he averaged 2.7 as a rookie now he's down to 2.4 but you take into consideration the fact that hey he's playing a lot more minutes and you know shows you he has been growing and you know with the way he's playing and the only ways up he could be a top top defender in a couple years so scary from him and that's why you have to give him the credit at that position rookie of the year though i mean this one also not very contested i think these are a little bit more obvious to kind of decipher out a little bit of the later ones might bring up the discussions, but you give it to Teo Maladon, and Pokachevsky's in that running, Josh Hall's in that running, but Josh Hall, he hasn't really played at all to much degree, only played one time with the blue, and then he got pulled, it was because of an injury, they disclosed that, but Pokachevsky also played with the blue, and with the Thunder, I mean, he had times where he looked great, and he's going to be back doing similar things. But he has not been consistent with the Thunder or Blue, really. He has been cool, though. Like, his highlights are off the charts. I think with Hall, too, I mean, just not really any ground to say for sure he's a surefire deal. Teo Maladone, he's established himself. I mean, I said it before. He went from, like, a training camp surprise preseason standout to now it seems like he's going to be the surefire starter if George Hill is to be moved. 
at this upcoming trade deadline. So Maladone, he's averaging 7.8 points per game, three rebounds and 3.3 assists, gets selected to the Rising Stars team with Lou Dort. There's a real reason why. It's because one, he's one of the best guards that came out of this class, easily one of the best passers. I mean, the passing he has been able to perform is actually insane. He's just like Shea Gilgis-Alexander in the fact that he has like four eyes. He has eyes in the back of his head. He knows exactly what's up. And even from the sides, he's shown off so many no-look passes to people this year. It's wild. And he did a lot more in the preseason. I think maybe Mark Dagnall wanted to settle him down come regular season. But you can't forget those jump passes that he was making almost consistently in their preseason games that uh, he was playing in. I mean, as soon as he sees people moving from the corner, you have a wide open three and there's no debate on it. I think his runner and floater game have not been used to its full potential yet either, yet he still is able to find his shot in there. I think, uh, you know, when you put him in high pick and rolls with some of the faster players on this team, such as Isaiah Roby and maybe even Darius Baisley, you get a lot better action from him, but he takes exactly what the defense gives him and he's able to pick it apart. So he gives you that SGA kind of, here, I can control the offense for you, but at the same time, He's able to sit back, watch the show, and when his name is called upon, he will rain down triples. Before, you know, George Hill was injured, or I guess during, during you could say, Maladone was right there, you know, at his peak after coming off this Brooklyn Nets game where he ties a rookie record going 7-7 seven of seven from downtown. He was shooting higher percentages than George Hill on catch-and-shoot spots. Now, it's kind of sulked down a little bit, but he's still a very, very consistent shooter off of the catch. Overall, he's shooting 35%, but on catch-and-shoots, you're looking at the 40 percentages there. And teams, they just haven't wanted to respect him. I think they just play the odds, and they say, you know, Shea Godis Alexander probably is a easy two points every time he's going to drive in on a one-on-one. So you bring in some extra heat, you keep rotating around. Maladone's typically the guy that is given the green light, unless it's like an Al Horford or Mike Muscala, and he hasn't shied away from it, and that's something that has made him so great. I think there's been a lot of players who have tended to maybe go a little bit back into the curtains this season when they're in their like down spots. Maladone, it's just made him better, and he really hasn't had a standout worst game. Like There has not been a rough patch for him. He will get a little bit down, but then he just goes right back up and he gives you that for like five straight games. So that's why, I mean, he's one of the most consistent members, 19 years old too. It's wild what you get out of him. And even, you know, with all the shooting, he's able to give you penetrating. He's able to give you passing. He's able to give you, he still is active defensively. I mean, he's been posting pretty high numbers when it comes to the stealing category, he's averaging one right now. And when you look at him only playing 25 minutes a game, pretty wild. And he has had those games where you're looking at him getting like four steals in a game. It's like, what? How? It's because he's so aware when it comes to passing lanes. He's just a master at that on both sides. So any chance he gets to kind of bait defenders around and manipulate, he's going to do it and he's going to find success there. So you give Maladone the Rookie of the Year award. And with George Hill potentially out, he might move from, you know, just a thunder. I don't think he's a secret anymore. I think teams kind of 
know that he's a sleeper, like a like NBA fans, just casual NBA fans, probably know about this guy now. But by the end of it, I think you're not just going to find him on the Twitters as like secret gyms. You're going to find him potentially looking at joining onto one of the all-rookie teams because, you know, if the trend continues, he probably will be looking pretty, pretty hot. Of course, you got LaMelo Ball. You got Tyrese Halliburton who are killing it. They're probably your one and two. But, you know, with him playing shooting guard, he probably could still fit in somewhere there. You got Anthony Edwards, but what about that final spot? I'm taking Teo Maladone, but, you know, that's just me being extremely, extremely biased. And, you know, there probably is some other guys killing it who are rookies, but I just got to give it to Teo, man. Moving on to the next award, we have the most improved player. And this was the toughest one for me to make because there's been so many great guys. And I think really just what this team has been about is you take what has been given and so many people have just flourished. I mean, there have been so many great guys who have came from situations that weren't that good and just turned them into amazing spots and they're looking like a real players in the NBA now. I think the main dude though, you got to give it to is Hamadou Diallo. Now, he didn't really have a secured spot with the Thunder under Billy Donovan. And I'm not going to completely attribute that to Diallo. I think partially Billy Donovan just wasn't a big fan of how he was playing. So he didn't shoot the basketball. They needed some sort of stretchability. Terrence Ferguson was the guy. I wouldn't consider him a very good sharpshooter but you know he did he did the job I guess he had the defense had the hops sometimes shot well but I don't know he just always seemed to have that kind of one step ahead of Diallo and he didn't really get his name called too often with Mark Dagnall here in Ferguson over to the Philadelphia 76ers he's finally been given that shot and he went from being a second round pick who really didn't have a clear-cut future to someone who you could for sure say will be a part of future for the Thunder or whoever he will be playing for. He's going to be in the league for a lot longer than just a rookie contract plus a minimum deal. You know, he's going to get some sort of compensation whenever his rookie deal expires because he went from averaging 6.9 points on almost 20 minutes a game. That's still great. Did it on like 45% shooting and he just could not really do anything when it came to shooting threes all that stuff didn't really have a true spot now I mean he was probably the number one option coming off the second unit whenever George Hill came down whenever Maladone got moved up Point Diallo was just kind of the storyline that you were riding through through that month of February I mean he's been averaging 11.9 points thus far but in that month man It felt like he was averaging 15. He was all over the place, just driving inside on defenses. He was even passing the ball around. I know he had a 10 assist game. I believe it was against the LA Lakers too, which makes it even more sweeter. But he was just able to get right down low, penetrate. It's something that he's always been really good at, but he's never had that real chance to do it until just now. And, you know, he's been great. Very, very great with it. So 11.9 points rebounding wise it's something that I've always mentioned but I mean he's a elite offensive rebounder and just in general he's he's a great rebounder he's a high flyer you know he's a pretty decent wingspan frame to him so he is able to kind of stock up for those boards has 5.2 right now on average and this is on 24 minutes a game keep that in mind 
1.2 of those are coming on offense. That is ridiculous. And when he gets those boards, typically he's right under the basket. So, you know, he pretty much has a pogo stick to him. He's getting the ball. He can jump right back up, probably dunk it if he wanted to do it between the legs, 360, whatever you want. He has that spring to his step. So he can get that rebound, go right back up and get you a quick two points. And that's what I love about Hamadou Diallo. And even when you put him up against other people, he's never really back down from anything. And that's something that you obviously knew before this year. Like he would run into three, four guys, didn't matter. He just had straight tunnel vision and sometimes he would net fouls, but for the most part, they were just missed contested shots because you don't need to get all physical when you have three people just encasing the man. Now, what has happened is if you always pressure him, if he's not feeling it and he kind of senses that, you know, he's not in that kind of sink that, you know, he has been at times, he'll look to kick the ball to the corner. And that's what's been just absolutely lovely with him. Been averaging 300% more assists in this season than last season. He averaged 0.8 last year, 2.4 this year. That's probably his biggest growth, and it's something that you probably would never even think about. The amount of passes he's making, just monumental from last year. So he does that, and then, you know, he's going to draw those defenders just back out a little bit, and all he needs is just that one inch. So we'll go right into you, pick up the trips to the free throw line, and he went from averaging 1.4 last year to 4.1 this year. So he's elite at getting to the free throw line without a question. He's one of the best people shooting inside 5 feet. I believe it's somewhere in the high 60s to low 70s. May even be higher than that threshold. I haven't checked it in a bit, but I don't think it probably swung that much back or forth. He's one of the best finishers as a guard, though. You know, pretty obvious, but... Yeah, he's just been amazing there. I think all around, he's just improved himself. Even offensively, I think he's looked a lot better. Steel-wise, he always seems to be active, but blocking too, he's great. Still, the only real thing plaguing him is personal fouls. Like He's kind of just been tripped up with that forever. Maybe it goes away in time, um, but you know, you really don't want to be worried about that right now. He's looked just amazing. He's been everything and more for this team off the bench so hopefully he comes back for the second half just guns blazing yet again get him his time we'll see how it works with ty jerome and all that but yeah just been just been great there and you know the little tiebreaker i had or right below him i had williams and isaiah roby kind of knotted up with each other i want to talk about isaiah roby though isaiah roby he's kind of like the christian wood of last season where christian wood with the detroit pistons he deserved most improved player. And I know that this year, he probably is going to be one of the front runners. But last year, if I had a ballot, I was writing Christian Wood as number one, without a doubt. He went from pretty much the bottom dweller of the league. This guy had to beat out Joe Johnson to make the NBA, to him being the best player on the Detroit Pistons and inking pretty sizable contract to go to the Houston Rockets. I mean, it was a total steal looking back on it. But I think he's making like 14 mil over the next three years so i wouldn't say that's too bad for him like i think in a literal sense you probably look at isaiah roby and say okay he probably has made the most incremental jump out of anyone so you'd give it to him or kenneth williams for instance i think both of them probably have but just looking at their roles i would probably give it to diallo because isaiah roby 
I mean, he pretty much is in his rookie season. Like, he played a little bit with the Thunder last year, but it was not near enough to gauge anything with him. He's playing really with the blue for the most part. So, I don't know if I want to give it there. And Kenrich Williams, I mean, he was playing both with the um, Pelicans affiliate as well as them too. And he was doing good with stats. However, I think he's just completely grown more. With... um. With Roby, though, I mean, and Wood, really, like, yeah, they just kind of came from being nobodies, being off the grid, pretty much, outside of, like, small, small, small circles, like, with Christian Wood, maybe, you're looking at people from the, you're looking at, like, Mountain West fanatics, caring about what was going on with him, or, like, G League people, because he was dominating in the G League, and I think with Isaiah Roby, just, like, Cornhusker fans probably cared a ton about him, but that's about it. No one knew him on a grand scale. I didn't really think Isaiah Roby would be this big, but look at him now. I mean, he's one of the best passers. He's been able to play at the three through five positions. Like, he's hardly played at the three due to injuries and stuff. But once there's a solidified rotation at that five, he can drop down to the three and be great. I mean, he has looked good there. And even at the five position, like, he does get out-rebounded but you got to realize, I mean, he's way less in terms of height and weight. So the fact he's able to battle out and still produce pretty well is pretty amazing. I mean, he's averaging 8.6 points, 5.4 rebounds, and 1.8 assists with no clear given role. It's amazing with him. And even shooting the basketball around, he's shooting 34%. And he doesn't shoot a ton, but I think that's something he could probably grow on more. So, hell, I mean, I say... He probably gives a good run for that most improved player. In a literal sense, he probably wins it. But, you know, just like Christian Wood, he had that great season last year. This year, he's grown even more, and everyone is talking about him. Maybe that's the same scenario with Isaiah Roby. Going from that Christian Wood with Detroit to Rockets version, everybody knows about the guy. He's been crazy versatile, been loving Isaiah Roby. Moving on to the next award, though, you gotta go with the Comeback Player of the Year, and this is a tie. This is a tie because I seriously don't know how to decipher the two. It's Al Horford and Mike Muscala in that knot there. I think with Al Horford, I mean, he's been a good center throughout his career. Uh, That goes without saying. I mean, he's been in all-star games before, and he's been on defensive teams. I think he even cracked an all-NBA team. That was a long time ago, though. He just stayed pretty consistent. He's been one of those veterans that you can kind of hang on your teams and he'll work for you. I think especially you can say that with Boston whenever he's playing with them. That Philadelphia year, though, was very, very awkward for him. And with that contract, I mean, he has a very ugly contract. Let's not kid ourselves. He's making 27 mil over the next three seasons. So that's what, $81 million combined. And in that first year with Philadelphia, he just completely bombed. He didn't work with Joel Embiid. I know he's taking interviews just like just now about the situation, but it just didn't really fit. And, you know, he he was just chasing after the bag. I don't blame him. But yeah, it, it just really didn't make all too much logic for him to be playing there. He still was able to produce, like he had 12 points on that season, 6.8 rebounds and even four assists. However, like those stats didn't mean that much. I think when it comes down to how they were playing, you couldn't play with Embiid and Horford. And when those two guys are making so much money, they have to be playing with each other. 
and they have to be playing to each other like in perfect harmony so the fact they were clashing really sent red flags and i don't think skill wise he took a major hit probably a little bit just in terms of typical regression when you get older but in a market value i mean al horford was the lowest of the low this was the bottom of the barrel contract in the league last year he was the chris paul of the offseason and you know what sam Presti does he goes right after it he picks up al horford gets a first round pick attached to it i believe it's 2025 gets tail maladone too and i think it's like michich or something really old um piece that they have draft rights to i don't think he's ever going to come over but they get him pretty much for nothing it's wild they got vincent poirier and terrence ferguson you know you got danny green for a couple days you lend him down there and i'd say it was a it was a genius deal so they get him in and you know at first you're like why why would they do this how does it matter i mean you know why it's because they have cap space and they're looking to tank but you can't really move around from him and how would he fit and he is fit phenomenally well and it comes from him being such a good just deep range shooter shooting 36 percent this season on five 5 attempts that is the most he's averaged in his career and he's even been pretty dominant down low too i think he hasn't really been in the post as much as typical years for him because sj wants to be down low so much but given his moments he does shine he's even shown off some little you know turnaround jumpers in that post area so lovely to see that from him assist wise not as high as he was with Philadelphia, but still 3.5. I think he's just really that sharpshooter. And whenever you're looking at a playoff, like, true contender, you have those playoff guys, like playoff teams, then the contenders. You don't necessarily have to have a perennial all-star playing at the five position. I think that just kind of is how the league is played now there's no real Shaquille O'Neal's I guess you could say you have Nikola Jokic I guess but when you're looking at contenders you're probably talking about the LeBrons you're talking about the Currys a lot more you know forwards and guards than anything else so you need a center like a respectable center you don't need a completely dominant one so you need someone who can get you those rebounds get you particularly threes in a constantly changing era but also someone who can play traditional as well. And that's exactly what Al Horford has done. So he's really just spiked his career back up. And that contract, you probably can't give that away for no expenses. Like a team taking on Horford's probably going to be trying to leverage into getting like a second or I don't even know, honestly, but they would want something else. I think now, you know, the price to give him up, like what you need to attach probably is not as much and there's a real value for him and even looking at that price tag i think teams that get this desperate later in the season are gonna need to go for him because you saw blake griffin off the board going to brooklyn you see andre drummond potentially getting bought out but that's like a a maybe scenario that's like a you know instagram kind of feed thing where it's like why would they buy him out if he's one of the best centers in the league but people are just kind of flying off. You had DeMarcus Cousins as well, kind of just doing whatever. Al Horford, he can be that guy. And 
whoever wants to swoop in, whether it's a team like the Boston Celtics who really need that identity change again, and why not bring in one of your best team pieces you've had in a while, and Al Horford, or just surprise teams who will need a center. They may be able to take him on, and it will take a lot of kind of hassling in terms of the money to make something work out, but he probably does have a couple suitors who at least would be asking Sam Presti about a price. You know what I mean? So I consider that, I'd say he went from untradeable to potentially tradable. And even without that, he's been amazing. And Mike Muscala too. I mean, he's having a career year, went on a guy on expiring contract to, you know, is he going to be able to make the league next year to absolutely he is. And every team should probably want this guy. Averaging close to double digits, 9.7 points, 3.8 rebounds to 37% from three. And with Donovan, I mean, he was shooting well from outside. He just has forever. But he hasn't been used this way probably at all in his career. He's not just that corner sitter. He's actually active everywhere on the court. And that's what I've loved. I think that's why you kind of have to throw him over here. I think the value of him really has just completely gone berserk. He's not just this one-sided player anymore. He gets it done. He can shoot at all three levels, to be quite honest with you. And, you know, it's it's really not even the corners where he excels at anymore. It's the top of the key, and it's the wings. He's so good at lurking around, and I, I hate always saying the same crap, but it's true. I mean, that's what he's developed in this first half of the season he's always hiding around in transition offense and if a fast break breaks down Mike Muscala is going to be wide open because SJ's double teamed and you know you'll like your chances with moneymaker Mike and even trying to crash the boards he's amazing he's had games where he's dropping 20 points and that's pretty much that you can't really find a way to stop him that wasn't really Mike Muscala at all with us last season and you know I don't know if he's going to be moved necessarily by the Oklahoma City Thunder, but I know this. Any team that gets him is going to be very lucky. If he's only going to get traded for like a second round pick, you know, I guess that's respectable because he may not be around for the long haul and he's kind of just that bench piece, but he's going to be one hell of a bench piece for you. So if he gets traded, whoever is getting him is getting a complete steal. Their fan base is going to love this guy. And, you know, on that same scale as Horford, where it's like he went from pretty much nowhere to, you know, maybe you could potentially get some out of him. Muscala is the same way. I think regardless, like he probably would have gotten maybe like a one year or something from our squad. Maybe that's just rubbish, but I mean, he stuck around with us. He was loyal and it looks like it's paid off. So he's going to move on pretty much coming off the best season. He is only 29 years old. So kind of that prime age. He's going to find a deal with someone um, in free agency or in the trade market. So good on him. It's lovely to see Mike Muscala kind of doing so well. But moving on to the final, we got newcomer of the year. And this was a close one where, you know, you could always mention the Maladon. You can mention the rookies. You can mention Al Horford, George Hill, Jerome even. But I wanted to go with Kenrich Williams here because he has been such just an amazing piece to the bench and he's filled in anywhere you want him to 
just like you can say with Isaiah Roby. Like, he will play from the two to four positions, and he's going to make it a nightmare for whoever is facing off against him. He hasn't been getting the starting nods, like, much at all. He kind of was only starting due to necessity in his six starts. But in all of them, he looked like an NBA quality starter, as well as off the bench, he's looked like it too. He's only been playing 19 minutes a game, putting up 6.2 points, 4 rebounds, and 1.6 assists. But you got to read through that a little bit more because just defensively, the deflections you see from this man, the amounts of switches you see from this man, he's so good at kind of just running around. He's great at anticipating what passes are going to come. You know, whenever you get that double team and it turns into hot potato, pretty much, where you pass, pass, pass. Kendrick Williams has probably the best instincts when it comes to playing that. Like, he is able to shut down that game, and there may be someone wide open at the top of the key, and someone has the ball right wing. He comes in from the paint at an angle where whoever catches it at the right wing, they're not going to be able to shoot because they're smothered. And if they're trying to pass to the top of the key, they're throwing it right at Kendrick Williams' faces. So he can pretty much guard two people at once in those situations. And even running around, he roams around the floor kind of like a linebacker. And it's pretty crazy. He's able to double team out of nowhere as well as kind of give you that help that is always needed when it comes to kind of closing out and even whenever someone's just dribbling from his face. He's going to poke it out pretty much every time that you allow him to. So that's what I get out of him. I think that Ty Jerome has been amazing, but he hasn't played near enough to kind of give him the title over Kendrick Williams. Same goes for the other guys too, really. So Kendrick Williams gets this here. It's well-deserved for him. But moving on to the final award, this one is the X Factor Award. Now, you may look at this as like, oh, that's like a Shea Gojis Alexander. That's pretty much like an MVP, right? Not really. This is more of when he's hot, you see the team go crazy. When he's not, not so much. And if he can pick it up in the second half of the season, you're looking at an electric squad, even more electric because they already are. It's Darius Baisley getting this award, and I couldn't leave him out here because you do need to talk about him. Through the first half, he's been averaging pretty much 12 points and 7.5 rebounds, and he's just starting all the time at that four. The question is, you know, is he a long-term four, or do you move him down to the three? You saw him entering the year as almost like a 15-8 and eight guy, maybe even higher. The ceiling was just through the roof when it came to giving kind of your predictions on Baisley. And it made sense why. I mean, at the position, he's very, very polarizing. He's so different. There's not anyone who can really dribble and slash like him. You know, the frame is a little bit on the lower end, and that's what gives you, like, is he that small forward? He's 6'8", with a 208-pound weight to him. So he gives you that small forward kind of vibe. But he slides up, and he's still able to be great. And he hasn't always been shooting well. Like, he has been in a slump. That is without a doubt. The numbers have not really shot up from rookie season in terms of efficiency. However, when it comes to rebounding, he's been one of the best rebounders with the team at 7.5. He only averaged four last year. And when it comes to shooting the basketball, I mean, he took a major hit from three. He was shooting 35% in his rookie campaign. Only 30% 
right now. But he just needs to work through it, and that's why I have him kind of spotted here. When he's shooting the ball over 50%, this team is a 500 team. It's only happened 10 games where he's had 10 points with over 50% field goal shooting. Complete split right there at 5-5. Five and five. Without that, you're looking at a record kind of where it is right now, where you're down six games there. So I guess that would be, what, 10-16 and 16 when he doesn't reach that? Maybe I'm kind of cherry picking my stats right there i don't know but i do think that him whenever he plays well just amplifies the team so much and he has shown that he can really turn into a star but those kind of down games have kind of plagued him a little bit and i think that you know other people have kind of wanted to bring that up so much with him i think that you really just need to understand i mean he's kind of in a unique situation here having to go up against players so much bigger than him with a lot different things to bring to the table. Like he's more of a perimeter guy who likes slashing in. He's having to defend people who are, you know, tap dancing in and out of the paint for 24 seconds every time. So he just has to work. And I think eventually he's going to figure this out. And you hope that it's going to be very, very soon with him. But those are my regular season awards, at least through this first half. If you guys have any kind of takes on this please make sure to hit me up you guys already know where to find it in the description you just got to click on my name brings you to my twitter page and you can shoot me a direct message there sorry for my voice being a little bit raspy i know it kind of died down literally five seconds ago yeah my voice has been shot for a little bit so hopefully didn't sound too bad today hopefully it's back for tomorrow and especially back by thursday when games kick back off Other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.